New Testament lesson will come from the book of Hebrews. We're going to be reading from Hebrews chapter 4. <clears throat> going to be reading verses 12 through 14 of Hebrews chapter 4. Indeed, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides the soul from the spirit, the joints from the marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him no creature is hidden. All are naked and lay bare the eyes of the one who holds the render and account. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> I don't know if you're like me, but nearly every um, significant moment in my life in some way has involved Bible. You know, last week I talked a little bit about, about my faith journey and how, uh, and how my faith grew and developed and changed through time and how, you know, I, I felt God move in my life and then I kind of backed away at other times and how, how, my, how my journey was not, a, um, was not a straight line but more one of those kind of up and down zigzaggy paths. But uh, as I look across my life, there's been very few significant moments in my life that didn't have a Bible involved in some way, you know. When you're born, you know, in our church, we give the new parents when the child's baptized, give them a little baby Bible. You know, so I, I got a baby Bible when I, was, when I was little. You know, here at the church, <coughs> my home church did the same thing. In third grade, you get a Bible, you know, when you reach that point. When you go through confirmation, you get a Bible. You know, growing up, the Gideons would come to school back in the olden days. And I got the little green New Testament the Gideons would give out. I got a Bible. When I joined the church, I got a Bible. When I graduated from high school, I got a Bible. When, when I proposed to my wife, I gave her a Bible. I gave my children's Bibles when they were born. They got Bibles from the church when they were born. I've got Bibles coming out of my ears. If you, if you ever want to get a new Bible, you want to take one for a test drive, come talk to me first. Don't go off and buy you one. I probably got it. <laughs> and I can let you read it and see if you like it before you use it. When I was ordained, I, I was going to bring Bibles up to the pulpit with me. And I didn't. The only one I brought up here with me was the one I preached from. And then I got, when I was ordained, I was given this Bible, keeping it keep in my, my office. Got a note from my mentor and got a note from the bishop in here that I, I keep with me. My prized possession is my Mama Sarah's Bible I got when, that I was given when she graduated from high school. My mama gave me that Bible years ago. That's my prized possession probably. So I've got, I've got a lot of Bibles. And I love the Bible. And so when I told folks today what I was doing, they all laughed at me because they said, you know, people throughout the week will say, what do you preach on this week? This week I said, well, I'm preaching on the Bible. Everybody thought that was kind of funny. I was like, they said, really, for once you're going to preach on the Bible? I'm like, ha, 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 that's funny. But I have in my ministry, as I look back at my notes, I, have, I actually have a running, I, I've kept nearly every sermon I preach my entire ministry. Got them on, I used to, back in the olden days, we had floppy disk. I used to keep them on floppy disk. And uh, I've got them all up in the cloud now, which is where you're supposed to, what you're supposed to do with them. Um, but uh, I went back and looked at a lot of my sermons. And first off, every time I go back and read old sermons, I always feel the overwhelming desire to call my former churches and apologize. <laughs> now, not saying I'm any good now, 
But Lord have mercy, those folks suffered under some bad sermons. So I, I went and looked, and, and I've preached a lot of sermons in my ministry about here's how to read the Bible, and here's a method for how to read the Bible, and stuff like that. But I realized I don't know that I've preached many sermons on the specifics of what our doctrine is that we believe about the Bible. So that's what, that's what we're going to do today, because you know we're in, the, we're in the midst of this series, St. Matthew's 101, talking about the next few weeks through the end of September, about who we are as a church. And we're talking specifically about what are our doctrines, the things that we believe, the things that we hold to be true, the things that we define to be true, our key doctrines as a church, our do- what we believe, that's doctrine, what we believe. But then we're preaching about our values. If doctrine's what we believe, values are how we live it out. So we're in the midst of our doctrine. So we've talked about thus far about well, who God, who is God? You know, that was the first question we talked about. Well, who is God? Then last week, we talked about, well, what is salvation? Well, and today we're going to talk about, well, what's the Bible? What's the Bible? Uh, I, I love the Bible. Uh, the, the, the thing in my ministry that I love doing the most is I love doing Bible study. That's probably my favorite favorite thing that I do is I love to teach Bible study. I love to talk about what, what the Bible means to us, how it, how it affects our life, um, what it is that we, we, we believe in what we do. Um, so to talk about the Bible, I want to just lay on the table. I come from a, I'm going to read the Bible like how John Wesley read the Bible because I'm a Methodist, I'm a Wesleyan. So Wesleyan doctrine is going to inform a lot of how I view Scripture, and you'll see what that means towards the end of my sermon when it comes to specifics about that. But before we get to what we believe about the Bible, I want to take a little conversation about a really important concept for us to understand, and that's the concept of truth. What is truth? And really, an even deeper question is, well, how do we know truth? How do we know and how do we understand truth? This, there, there's a big fancy seminary word for it called epistemology. Epistemology is basically the philosophy or the concept of understanding of how do we as individuals understand or know truth or how do we gather truth? And it really comes down to two questions. To know what is true... Does truth come from within yourself? Are you the arbiter of what's true? Or is truth external? Is truth something internal or is truth something external? Because we all believe in truth. I mean, we we all believe in truth. The C.S. Lewis has this, you know, talks about this. I'm going to paraphrase here, but when it comes to concepts of absolute right and absolute wrong, you know, we all believe in absolute right and absolute wrong. I mean, the analogy I use is it, is, it, is, it, is it right for me to go find one of our small children in the Sunday school hour, punch them in the face, and take their candy? Is that wrong? Yeah. Well, if I push you, why? Well, you're bigger than them. So? Why is that wrong? Well, that's not your candy. So? Why does that make it wrong? Like, if it, it, we all deep in the core of our being agree it's wrong for me to go punch a child and take their candy. We can't explain it. We don't believe really, Like, because every reason you're going to give me, I can say, my answer can be, well, so? What's that matter? We just know deep in our core that's wrong, and you shouldn't do it. So we all within us have a concept of absolute right and absolute wrong. So the question then, 
where, where do we, how do we define that? Where do we know truth? Where do we know truth from? How do we understand these things? So the question historically has always been, is truth something internal within me that I can discern by looking within myself? Or is truth something external that is revealed to me by a higher power? Or not even a higher power, a, a government, your parents. We, I believe, and I put forth and our church believes that truth is an external concept that is revealed to us by God. Within ourselves, because we're made in the image of God, we can understand truth internally somewhat, but to ultimately understand what is true, to ultimately understand what is right, we have to look to an external revelation from God. And for us as Christians, that external revelation of what truth is, that's Scripture. Scripture is the external revelation of God's truth and God's way and who God is and how we understand God. I said a few weeks back, talking about who God is. You know, I, 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 if you remember that sermon, my four points were actually scriptural quotations. That's what I did. God's Trinity says on the Bible. God's revealed to us in Jesus Christ says on the Bible. God is holy says on the Bible. God is love says on the Bible. So every foundation that we have for who God is, is a revelation from Scripture. Every understanding we have for what, for what uh, salvation is, we get from the Bible. As Kate said this morning, children's moment, it's God's gift to us teaching us truth. And it is the boundary by which our life as, is defined. We want to stay within the boundaries of Scripture as, as, as we understand it. And you get outside those boundaries, you get in trouble. Scripture is that revealed truth of God. That is the historic understanding of the church from the moment the church has existed. Now, I'm not saying everybody believes it. And we can argue about how you interpret it. But that has always been the historic understanding from Christians from from, the Bible, from even within the Bible. So if you see in one of Peter's letters, Peter says of Paul's works, said Paul's, Paul's writings, like all other scriptures, is often hard to understand. We see from within Peter's letters in the Bible itself that Paul's letters were understood as authoritative truth right after they were written. As Christians, we've always had what's called a canon. We've always had a scripture. We've always had an external source of truth that reveals to us who God is and how we understand God. Truth is not an internal thing that we look within ourselves to find. Truth is an external thing shown, given to us by God. And the, com and the complete revelation of who God is is Jesus Christ. When in John 1, it says, in the, the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The ultimate revelation of who God is, is Jesus Christ. But how do we know Jesus? How do we understand who Jesus is? How do we know Jesus' character, Jesus' life, Jesus' teachings? Scripture. Scripture. Karl Barth was a theologian. He said, there were several words of God. There's the proclaimed Word of God, which is the, script, the, the, the sermon, there's the written word of God, which is scripture. And there's the revealed word of God, which is Jesus Christ. And Bart said the job of the sermon and the other job of scripture is to point us to Jesus. 
That is God's ultimate revealed truth. So if we want to understand God's truth, we want to understand God's way, we want to understand all these things, we have to start with Scripture. We have to. We have to. So I know many of you believe that. I know many of you believe that. But it's important for us to say it and teach it. Because in the world we live in, as we can't assume things anymore, y'all. We can't assume things anymore. We have to oftentimes lay out what it is we believe so that we understand. We have a shared understanding of what this is. So, we believe Scripture is the revealed and inspired Word of God. Our doctrine as Methodists, there's, there's this awful, awful, terrible book you should never read called the Book of Discipline. Just don't read it. It's not worth your time. I mean, I'm, I'm joking. It, it's, it's our doctrine and, our, and how we organize our church. In the beginning of the discipline is our theological statement, what it is we believe. And we actually have, the article is called, we have two primary sources of our doctrine. One's called the Oracles of Religion, and one's called the Confessions. And the Confessions actually come, the United Methodist Church, which we're part of, it's a merger of the Methodist Church and the United Evangelical Brethren Church. Methodists were historically English-speaking people who followed John Wesley. The brethren were German-speaking people who followed John Wesley. Well, nobody speaks German anymore. So in the 60s, these two churches merged together. So our discipline has within it our official do- the, uh, his- the official doctrine the Methodists have always had and what the brethren have always had. And I was reading through the discipline, and I want to read to you what the brethren's official statement about the Scripture is because I think it is the best thing I've ever read that describes what we believe about the Bible. This is what, they, this is what, this is what their teaching says which is our teaching as well. We believe the Holy Bible, the Old and New Testaments, reveals the Word of God so far as it's necessary for our salvation. It is to be received through the Holy Spirit as the true rule and guide for faith and practice. Whatever is not revealed or established in the Holy Scriptures is not, is not to be made an article of faith, nor is it as, be, as to be taught as essential for salvation. Let me read that again. We believe that it reveals the Word of God so far as necessary for our salvation. It is to be received through the Holy Spirit as the true rule and guide for faith and practice. Whatever is not revealed or established by the Holy Scriptures is not to be made an article of faith, nor is it, is it to be taught as essential to salvation. Everything, everything, everything you need for your life, for your salvation, for your living of your Christian journey is found in this book. This book contains everything you need for your Christian life. This book contains everything you need for correct doctrine, for correct teaching, and for correct living. If it is not made clear within Scripture, then it is not essential to salvation. If Scripture does not make it clear, it is not essential for salvation. God is not playing hide-and-seek with his will. God is not playing hide-and-seek with your salvation. God, If your eternal security and your eternal salvation rest upon something, God is going to make it plain to understand and easy to understand, and it's going to be plain within the teachings of Holy Scripture. It contains everything needful for salvation, and everything needful for salvation is made plain within in other, words, in other words, if Scripture does not speak clearly to it, then I do not believe that it's an essential doctrine that is required for salvation. This book is our guide to holy living. This book is our guide to correct doctrine. This book is our guide to what it means to be a Christian. 
We cannot live our faith journey. We cannot walk with God. We cannot understand truth apart from Scripture. And frankly, y'all, my most important job as your pastor is to get you to read the Bible. It's not to get you to come to church. I mean, I love to see you on Sunday mornings. But more than anything else in my ministry, I want you reading the Bible. That's what I want. You can give me that. That's what you should give me for Christmas this year. Read your Bible. That's, 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 that's really what I want. This book contains everything needful for salvation, and everything needful is made plain within. It is God's revealed, inspired, holy word. And it points us to Jesus. It points us to correct living. It points us to how we should live. So the Bible is, um, John Wesley said, I am a man of one book. The Bible was Wesley's best friend. It, he read it throughout his life, read it many times over, and he, inspired, he encouraged the Methodists to read it faithfully, daily, religiously throughout all of their life. It was an essential part of the character of what it meant to be a Methodist was to be well-versed and to understand Scripture. Uh, it is our guide for faith and life. If you want to know how to live, read the Bible. If you want to know how we should treat others, read the Bible. If you want to know how I should regard you as a human being, read the Bible. The Bible's going to convict us. It's going to correct us. It's going to challenge us. It's going to affirm us. It's going to speak to us. It is, it is a book written by many authors over, over thousands of years. And it's got various styles of of, 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 of literature. We get ourselves confused sometimes. We try to read it. The book of Psalms is a hymnal. It's a book of poetry. The Gospels are a narrative history. You're going to read Psalms different than you're going to read the Gospel. You just are. They're two different types of literature. The book of Revelation is an apocalyptic story of God's judgment and God's return. It's going to read very different than the book of Genesis. Two different types of literature. We have to, it is one book made up of many types of literature, but here's the key, y'all, with one common theme. The scripture is the story of the creation of humanity, God's plan for how to redeem humanity through his covenant people. The Old Testament's covenant people were the, were the Israelites, and the New Testament, his covenant people was the church. So it's God, it is the, cre the creation of humanity, the fall of humanity, God's plan for how to redeem humanity through covenant, the old covenant, the new covenant, as seen fully through Jesus Christ, and then how the church should order and live itself out waiting for the return of Christ. The scripture is the story of humanity, our creation, our fall, and our eventual redemption. So you have this one book with many types of literature, with many authors, that speak with one voice. And that's what's most amazing to me about the scripture is how this book that's so big and so varied and so many different types of literature speaks with one voice from beginning to end. When you read scripture, you see the dovetails all throughout it. On Pentecost, I talked about this, how Babel was the story of how many people came together speaking one voice and because of human sin fell into many voices and many people. Well, the sin of Babel is corrected at Pentecost because on Pentecost, the many people came in with many languages but left speaking one because of Christ. Babel, the one became many. Pentecost, the many became one through Jesus. 
The, the scriptures start off in a garden. The scriptures end in a garden. In the Old Testament, God calls his people, his people, the people of God in the Old Testament, flee for safety to Egypt with the famine. And then God calls his people out of Egypt through the Exodus. When Herod was trying to kill Jesus, where did Mary and Joseph and Jesus go? Do you remember? To Egypt. So in the same way God sent his people to Egypt to save them, and he called them out to bring life, in the New Testament, for safety, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus fled to Egypt. He called them out. Scripture is many, many books, many types of literature, all singing from the same hymnal. One of my favorite illustrations of what Scripture is is something N.T. Wright said. N.T. Wright's a great British theologian. He said, Scripture should be understood as a piece of, uh, as a symphony. And if, you, if you're a music person, you know that you can listen to a symphony and to really understand Beethoven or Mozart, to really get the beauty of it, you need to listen to the entire piece. When you listen to the entire piece, when you listen to the choir, you want to hear all the voices. And to really understand the beauty of it, you want to listen to all of it completely. That's where the power is found. But then, if you're a bass, you may want to listen to what are the bass singing. Or, you know, if you're listening to the symphony, you may want to hear what the woodwinds are playing. But only after you hear the piece in completeness do you really understand the beauty of the individual parts. We understand that Scripture is one story from beginning to end made up in different pieces. Then we can really see, well, how does God work in Exodus? How does God work in Leviticus? How does God work in Romans? The Scripture is one beautiful piece of music revealing to us truth that we can then understand deeper on an individual basis. It's, one of, it's, it's how we know truth, y'all. It's how we know Jesus. And I said earlier that I'm going to read this from a Wesleyan perspective. That means two things. One is that Scripture is not to be read for knowledge. The uh, Bible says knowledge without love puffs up. The Scripture is to be read for transformation. I'm not worried about if you can quote chapter and verse. I mean, I want to be able to quote chapter and verse. But I'm worried about, has Scripture penetrated your heart? And is Scripture causing you to live a more holy life, a life where you love God and love your neighbor fully? I don't want you to get smarter about the Bible. I want the Bible to transform your life. I want the Bible to transform your heart. I want the Bible to transform who you are. A Wesleyan reading of Scripture is to read the Bible not just for knowledge, but to read it for transformation. To read it to grow closer to God. To read it to have God change our hearts, change our life, change who we are. There's, um, there's a word you've heard us throw around in the church. We're going to talk about it in a couple weeks. Uh, called a sacrament. We in the Methodist church hold the two sacraments, baptism and communion. Other churches have more. We have two. And we believe in a sacrament. These are things that we do where God gives us grace to transform us. So in baptism, grace is given to the one being baptized and their hearts being transformed. In communion, when we receive communion, grace is imparted upon us and we're being transformed. Well, those are sacraments. But in the Wesleyan, for John Wesley, he had the sacraments, but he also had what he called means of grace. 
Means of grace were things that you did where God gave you grace. Which sounds a lot like a sacrament. <laughs> and I guess the only difference is the language. But for Wesley, one of his means of grace was what he called the searching of Scripture. Y'all, when we read the Bible, when we read the Bible, I believe with all of my heart that Jesus Christ will meet us here. And I believe and we believe that the same Holy Spirit that inspired the writing of Scripture is the same Holy Spirit who will speak through us in Scripture. When you open this book and read it prayerfully and read it through the eyes of the Spirit, the same Spirit that inspired Micah, the same Spirit that inspired Paul, the same Spirit that inspired John, the same Spirit that inspired Matthew, it's the same Spirit who will meet us in this book. This is not simply a book to be used for knowledge. This is a book to be used for transformation. And if we're reading this book and we're getting smarter and we can quote more, but the love of Christ is not being shed abroad in our heart, and the love of Christ is not being apparent in our lives, and the love of Christ is not being apparent in our conduct, and the love of Christ is not being apparent in who we are, then we're not reading it as God intended. This is God's revealed truth to us, put forth for the living and the ordering of our life. And God will meet us here when we read it. I had a guy in my last church come to me one day and say, Andy, how do I read the Bible? I thought, oh, that's a great question. I said, uh, well, I said, you know, there's a, there's a lot of different translations you can use. You know, I read from these here, but, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's whatever translation you like. He said, no, Andy, how do I read the Bible? I said, oh, okay, well, you know, you want to you know, you get some type of reading guide, like a lectionary maybe, or you can use maybe the upper room or our daily bread to kind of give you a plan to read the Bible. He said, no, Andy, how do I read the Bible? I realized he was not asking for what Bible translation to read or what method to use. He was asking, how do I encounter God in Scripture? I said, man, that's a great question. That's the question right there. I said, you need to, you need to pray need to read slowly. You need to listen. You need to put yourself fully in front of God when you read Scripture and pay attention to whatever it is He's saying to you because He will transform us. And y'all, at our core, that's what we believe most about Scripture is that the point of Scripture is to reveal to us the truth of who God is and to change our hearts to follow Him more. And if we're not reading the written word of God, we will never fully know the revealed word of God, who is Jesus Christ. So may we be like John Wesley. May we be people of one book. May we read scripture seriously, intentionally, with open hearts and open minds. Because it is our greatest avenue to be transformed by the truth of God. Let's pray.